We are CEOs, executives, educators, and professionals from all sectors of society who support the global expansion of betterment in the world through joy and joyly. I'm your host, Cheryl Lynn, founder of the Chair of Joy Experience. Together, we have developed the World Council of Joy, and our council invites CEOs and innovators from impactful organizations to the Joyly podcast. We showcase how generous, bold, and fully engaged they are in their work and what a culture of joy is to them. Good day, everyone. Cheryl Lynn here with Joyly Studios, and I am coming to you from California this morning because we had such an amazing event in um, Dr. Jay Grossman's house in Hollywood. So I will tell us, we'll talk about a little bit with that with our guest today, Rich Sheridan, who is the CEO of Menlo Innovation. So welcome, Rich, to the podcast. Great to be here, Cheryl. So great Monday morning to both of us. We're off and running, and I think that's what joyful human beings do. They get up, they get going, they get excited, and they figure out what needs to be done in life. Is that right? Absolutely. Monday's Monday's one of the best days of the week. Absolutely. I am going to get started by reading one of my favorite quotes um, that I found. I know you have many, but this is one I'm going to get started with. In order to get others to accept change, you must recognize that any change involves tearing down existing reward systems, especially if those reward systems unintentionally foster and perpetuate pain-filled systems. If the change is to stick, you must quickly replace the old rewards with new rewards of equal or greater value and remember most treasured rewards are not monetary. Like that just literally gives me goosebumps. You have no idea. I've been uh, 30 years on a path of focusing on joy. So it's like a kindred spirit meeting you, sir. So I would like for you, we speak to CEOs and we bring programs to corporations. What do you mean exactly by not monetary? What would be some rewards that you guys are utilizing? Well. So think about uh, the typical work week for people and they come home on a Friday, they're tired. They are chatting with their neighbor across the fence and the neighbor says, how's work going? And most people will say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I, I'm so tired. I worked really long hours this week. Uh, I, I actually have to go in this weekend and that vacation we planned with our family in July I have to cancel because we're just so busy. And that sounds awful, right? Yes. And yet in that statement is a grand reward. People saying, I'm so valuable. They can't live without me. Um, there's no way they could move forward unless I'm there every minute of every day. And those rewards are really hard to let go of, right? When we become the central figure, the hero in our uh, torturous work environments. And so at Menlo, we had to trade that out for something completely different. If somebody comes home from Menlo on a Friday, they say, how was your week? I'm like, oh, it was great. Oh, really? Are you working a lot of overtime? Nope, never work overtime. Are you going in this weekend? Oh, no, <laughs> that would never happen. What about that vacation you planned this summer? Yep, I'm going. And, you know, people would look at that person and say, aren't you worried about your job? Aren't you? It doesn't sound like you're very important where you are. 
But that's the difference in a team-based environment, in a systems-thinking-based environment. Uh, we don't need heroes. We don't need to build cultures around heroes. When you create a true team-based environment, you can actually work for a really long time on really hard stuff and not burn, not burn out your team. <clears throat> I cannot wait to get into the weeds with you about that. But uh, let's get to know you a little bit, Rich. You are an entrepreneur, business leader, and author, best known as the co-founder and CEO of Chief Storyteller of Menlo Innovations, which is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You also have a software and IT, uh, that, which is a software and IT consulting company. And I've read quite a bit about some of your awards. So would you help our team, our community that's listening in, learn a little bit more about who you are? Uh, pure Michigan kid, uh, as we like to say around here. I grew up around here. Uh, uh, touched a computer for the first time in 1971. I can't believe this September it'll be 50 years since that happened. I'm just not that old, but I was just a kid in high school then. And, um, and I was hooked. I knew what I wanted to do the rest of my days. I thought this software thing was going to be big. I don't know why I thought that, but uh, at the time, it, there weren't that many computers around, but it just really captured me. I, I thought, this is my chance to be an artist, to write software. And uh, I got my first job as a programmer before I could even drive a car. Eventually went to the University of Michigan, got a couple of degrees in computer science, computer engineering, and launched a career that by all worldly standards look perfect. I went from programmer in 1982 to vice president of R&D for one of the highest flying public firms in, in Michigan uh, in 1999. And, uh, but along the way, I fell out of love with my profession. I wanted out, I was burning out, I was frustrated, and quite frankly, I was scared. I didn't know what I was gonna do the rest of my life. I wasn't sure I could do this anymore because it was just crushing my spirit. And of course, I had a lot of grand responsibilities. Uh, my wife, my three daughters, our cars, our house, all that stuff was keeping me trapped in a profession that was joyless for me. And uh, I was contemplating escape routes, but eventually I decided to change the industry. And that's why we're talking today. I pursued a path that I now call a uh, intentionally joyful culture. Uh, those were not the words on my mind in the beginning, uh, but uh, it, it, was, uh, it was an important journey for me. It was one that was going to allow me to stay in a profession for the rest of my working days. And I'm delighted to say that now my kids think I'll never retire. They're like, why would you retire, Dad? You're having so much fun at work. That's awesome. And I would love to invite everyone to read Joy Inc. And it goes into great detail about who Richard is, how he got to where he is today, and really his philosophy around a culture of joy. So I encourage everyone to purchase and read. It's a quick read. It's easy. It's fun. The stories are en are enriching and, and they're easy to wrap your head around and understand who he is and why he created what he did. And basically, how many employees do you have? You know, we're at about 50 employees, so it's just still a fairly small company. How 50 employees are completely engaged. And based on the fact that 71% of people are disengaged, typically in corporate America, and 50% are looking for a job while they're at work, uh, I'm guessing your culture is completely different. Would you agree? <laughs> well, it, it, the energy is palpable. Uh, now, 
course, this last year has been an interesting one because we are yeah. a team that, as you know, in reading the book, we love to be together, working shoulder to shoulder, sharing a keyboard and a mouse, being at the same computer together, doing work in pairs, switching the pairs every five days. Uh, that worked for us really well for 19 years, but it was not going to work during the pandemic. Uh, so we had to make some major adjustments in the last year, but we kept the core principles the same, the principles of teamwork, collaboration, trust, empathy, relationships, uh, keeping the human energy of our team high, which I think is one of the most squandered energy forces on the planet. And could you tell us a couple of examples of how you do that in a Zoom environment? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Our team is in Zoom or Google Hangout or one of those technologies all day long with their pair partners, just like you are and I are connected right here. Right. But it's not a meeting. And I think that's probably the way we keep human energy high is we hate meetings. We mm. think they're mind-numbing, spirit-sucking, energy-draining devices of management. So we give our team a tremendous amount of clarity over ambiguity and give them the ability to go to work and get meaningful things actually done. I think that was the most frustrating thing in my old life. I'd work long days. I'd be on the phone all day, putting out fires from one end of the day to the other. I'd come home late. Dinner was cold in the microwave waiting for me. And my wife would look at me and she'd say, honey, you look really tired. Did you get a lot done today? And I'd say, no, I got nothing done today. I, I, I did a lot. I was busy from one end of the day to the other but absolutely nothing done. And I think that ability to go to work and just get meaningful things actually done is probably one of the most uplifting things uh, a company can do for its people. And then to reward that in very unique ways. And that's really exciting. And again, the book goes into that. Just so you know, we have three daughters in common. How old are your kids? Uh, they are. I should know this right off the top of my head. You kind of lose track after a while. Uh, they were uh, born in 84, 86, and 89. So we have to do the math there, but I think that makes them about uh, uh, 37, 35, and 32, if I'm doing the math right. And are you a grandpa yet? Oh, yes. Uh, four beautiful granddaughters, all from my oldest so far, um, and uh, six, three, and two beautiful little twins uh, that are a year and a half old. Oh, congratulations, yeah. ma'am. There's some joy right there. Oh, that. man, I tell you, I'm not <laughs> sure why we even have kids. You know, it's just so much fun with the grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a path. There's a path yeah. to that joy. And it's exactly. yeah, that's right. That children, but I love daughters, too. We have had oh having a blast. I have one in one in Wisconsin, one in Portland, and one in Denver now. She just recently moved. So it's fun to travel and see them grow and turn into amazing young ladies. Absolutely. So we only have each other for a short time. And I am so enamored by your by your work and joy for so many years. I, I Would you agree that you are a rare breed? <laughs> yeah, but not unique. Uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, I, I think Obviously, uh, the reason our books or podcasts like this is because people are yearning for something different. They want, uh, they want joy in their work lives. They want joy in their home lives. There's just no question. This is a this is a worthy pursuit. And so, yes, we are rare. Uh, I realize I have reached a point in my personal life that uh, uh, most never get a chance to. I pursued a dream and I caught it. And, and been riding that wave since we founded Menlo in 2001. 
and that's that's what I'm finding is kind of interesting is to which is why we work with most CEOs that are over 250 employees is that not everyone has to be the dreamer and and the achiever of a great mission and vision there are many many people that can follow and support something like what you're doing or what I'm doing and create so many joyful lives, which then impact families and communities and on and on. So it is it is my mission, one of my greatest um, achievements is to watch a CEO, CEO acquire and involve themselves into something that they've never really thought of before, much like what you're doing. So on a big scale, Richard, how do you see um, yourself impacting leaders in the world with this culture of joy that you refer to? Well, I'm doing something I absolutely love to do now. And uh, the mechanisms I use to spread this message are things that are just a great delight for me. I get to speak at conferences around the world on the subject of joy in the context of work. I love to write. And I will tell you, it was bucket list territory for me to write one book. And now having done it twice is just such a joy. Um, I actually got to read the audio book of my uh, of my second book, which was uh, a wonderful opportunity for me. And, you know, the, the people this connects me to, the, the community that I've built around what we have created at Menlo, the fact that we're, this is not me describing a past life. This is a daily activity for me leading Menlo Innovations, uh, leading a company where these practices are actually employed every day. And the fact that thousands of people a year come from all over the world just to see how we do it. We get between three and 4,000 visitors a year who come literally from all over the planet. And of course that stopped when the pandemic hit, which was very sad for us. Yeah. Then we started virtual tours in June of last year. And in just since June of last year, we have had visitors, over 2,000, come from 62 countries and 40 states just to visit us virtually. And it's wonderful because it has democratized the tours. Now people who had never had a chance to come are now visiting. And they've many of them report they've read the book. So the book is all over the world, which is just a delight for me to know that people are reading about joy in several different languages now and wanting to bring it home into their own environments. So what would you say, this is, this is, this is, this is a big question for a Monday morning, but I'm gonna ask anyway, if there was a, um, if there was a short sentence that would be uh, spoken about you after you have gone, what would that be? What, what are we remembering Richard Sheridan for? He left the campsite planet Earth a better place than he found it. <laughs> Beautiful. And, and, and one more philosophical, philosophical question. What if you could fix any, anything, if you had a magic wand and could address one issue in the world, what would that be? And we could do whatever we could to make it better. Would you pick one thing? You know, for me, the, 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 the other side of this joyful teeter-totter we're on is fear. And if we could teach leaders to pump fear out of the room rather than bring it to work with them, rather than think that fear is a component of motivating other human beings, I think we could change the planet. So could you address the state of mind, if you will, right now in corporations? Would, 
I know we just have, we're having a pandemic, but there's really always something going on, right? Would you, would you, would you give, um, would you lean toward it's more fear-based or more jo joy-based? <laughs> well, well, I think the disengagement statistics kind of say it all. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a tide moving. And I think that the, the enlightened leaders are finding it. Uh, groups like at the University of Michigan, they have a center for positive organizations within their business school, which I think is an amazing thing to think about, right? That occurring within a context of a business school and one of the top in the nation, that they have created this center for positive organizations. And so I think there is a movement. And I think the, the key thing in that movement is this. There are so many who are worried about AI, machine learning, big data, robotics, and what is the effect going to be in our companies and on our people. But there is this element of humanity that can never be replaced by machines or computers or data. And it is creativity, imagination, invention, and innovation. And in those four, those are the things that make us the most human. And sadly, when we are afraid, that part of our brain shuts down and we go to reptile brain and, mm -hmm. and we are in fight or flight mode and we are not thinking creatively, imaginatively, inventively, or with innovation on our minds. And this is what every company on the planet needs more than anything else. If we're gonna stay ahead, if we're gonna outrun our competition, it is simply because we're gonna be more creative, more imaginative, more innovative, and more inventive than our competitors. And so we need the most human part of our team. And if we can stay away from the fear component, keep human energy high, keep bureaucracy low, and keep our teams focused on a purpose, our little corporate aircraft can get off the ground every single day reliably and with great energy. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy and joyful to speak with you this Monday morning. What you just said is, I believe is in the experience economy, right? There's lots of people who want to experience and just going into your room and into your virtually into your office and seeing what you do is probably impacting way beyond you could what you could possibly even begin to imagine. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I gave a talk once at Mass Mutual Corporation and um, and it was, it was a one hour talk. And right at the end, I encourage them to run the experiment, right? Because so often when somebody comes in to work with a new idea, somebody says, oh, that won't work here. That's on us, We're, that's against policy, you know, that won't be approved. And the idea dies right in the moment. And I looked at them, I said, I get it, but look that person in the eye and say, you know what, let's try it before we defeat it. Let's run the experiment. And Amy Ferreira, their VP of claims at the time, took that to heart. And she invited me back six months later to show me what had happened in their claims department, which now Mass Mutual is a 180-year-old life insurance company, right? It's not little memo. This $30 billion a year operation. And in claims, they process about $3 billion worth of claims a year. And Amy said, Rich, we're going to go back to the claims department, which is this 100,000 square foot facility of half height cubicles, and you're going to see helium balloons there. I said, oh, are you celebrating something? She said, no, everywhere there is a desk with a helium balloon taped to the desk is somebody declaring, I'm running an experiment, come and talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Like, oh, what a cool idea. I didn't tell them about helium balloons. So we turned the corner and Cheryl, there were balloons as far as the eye could see. It was unreal. And this was only six months after my talk. And so I went up to Susan's desk. I said, Susan, tell me about your experiment. She says, well, I'm in charge of quality. I'm the last stop before the check goes out the door. And I have to do three steps, A, B, and C. And I found out that, you know, B is the longest step. And if I find a mistake, it's uh, C, I got to go back and redo the longest step. And so she said, my experiment is just do A and then C and then B. And it sped things up and got everything out the door faster. Now she's just beaming with energy about this story, right? And I asked her, I said, Susan, how long have you worked here? She said, 19 years. And I said, have you always been like this? And her face turned into a scowl. She said, no, I hated my job before. I hated coming to work every day. I dreaded the drive-in. I was counting the days to retirement. I said, well, what's different now? She says, now we can run experiments. I said, what was it like before? She says, oh, Rich, every idea I ever had, it had to go up five levels over down five levels. Every idea I ever had died in the vine. She said, after a while, you just stop bringing ideas to work. After a while, you say, you know what? It's just a job. And then you just start counting the days to retirement. Now she says, I love my job. I can't wait to get to work in the morning. I don't even think about retirement anymore. And I'm looking across this room and there are balloons as far as the eye can see. Imagine that didn't cost them anything, right? Maybe some helium balloons and a, and a little tank full of helium, right? That's it. And you're getting, this is the same people, the same paychecks, the same physical space, everything the same, but human energy at that level. And I will tell you, I ran from balloon to balloon and got stories just like Susan all across that space. And my encouragement to your listeners is this. You can look at Menlo and say, oh, they're small, they're entrepreneurial, they're in tech. No, no, this is a 180-year-old life insurance company that made this change within six months. If they can do it, so can you. Have you ever dropped your phone on the floor, on your face, or in some other embarrassing place? Don't you wish there was something you could attach to your phone case that would help you hold your phone so you don't have to? Or at least as much. Introducing Steady Straps, a comfortable, adjustable, strong, elastic strap with 100% Velcro brand closures that helps you hold your phone more securely without dropping it and use it easier and faster, especially one-handed. It's the only smartphone grip accessory without adhesives, and it's 100% wireless charging ready without having to remove or adjust it first. Check us out at SteadyStraps.com and order some today. And where was your where was your heart during that? And even today, what's going on inside of you when you see things like that, that you've really helped manifest? I mean, think about Susan, right? How did this change her home life, right? How, how about her relationships within her family? Just because she feels so much better at work. Right? This is where we spend most of our waking hours. And she now feels, I matter here. People listen to me. I have agency around my own work. What a difference that can make in one person's life. And think about her kids. If she has kids, I don't know. But if they're sitting around the dinner table with her, they're getting excited about their future, not depressed. I mean, think how many kids listen to their parents complain about work at dinner time. It's a terrible way to set the tone inside of kids' heads. So my question still is, where is your heart in this? I get, I hear what you're saying, but where are you with this? How do you sit with this in yourself? 
Well, you know, when people asked me where my joy comes from, I had to look inside. I had to figure out where does this come from for me? And I thought back to those early touches on technology, and I thought that was it. I realized, no, I have to go back even further. I thought back to a 10-year-old version of me. My mom and dad went out to dinner one night and uh, in a movie, and I was on my own. And mom had just bought the equivalent, of the 1967 equivalent of an Ikea bookshelf, and it was in a box out in the garage. And they were very excited. New furniture didn't come along that often. And, uh, and I went out in the garage and employed my inner engineer, and I built this bookshelf that was about eight feet wide and six feet tall. And I was so excited because I did it for them. And then I realized, oh, you built it in the garage and mom wants it in the living room, right? <laughs> so for the next hour, I inched that thing out the front of the garage, down the sidewalk, through the family room, into the kitchen, into the living room, right where mom wanted it, sat up dad's books, mom's knickknacks, wired up the stereo. And when they walked in the door, I had my mom's favorite album playing and she cried. And for me, that is joy, serving others with the work of our hearts, our hands, and our minds. And this is what we all want in our lives. This is what I wanted in my life. And so when I see these opportunities to serve others in whatever capacity, whether it is the work that Menlo does as a live in, in, for our business, you know, to design and develop custom software, mm -hmm. or it is delivering these messages around the world that change people's lives, I am living out my purpose in life. I am living out what I was made to do and built to do. And I get to do that every single day. And um, it makes me sleep better at night. <laughs> it makes me a more pleasant person to be around. Uh, it, it gives me that sense of legacy, really, at this point. We're, we're going to be 20 years old now. And... Um, it just, I, I know we've accomplished what we set out to do and we've changed the world in doing it. So are your mom and dad still with us? They are not. Oh, I'm sorry. And where is the bookshelf? Did that make it? <laughs> no, no, the bookshelf was long ago gone, but uh, but the memory survives. I've actually found some pictures of that bookshelf just to uh, make sure I've uh, got a good memory of it all. So I'm really glad that you shared that story because the next part of this is I, I wanted to really tap into some of those joyful moments for you. And the reason I'm saying that is because at Joyly, our mission is to explore um, concepts around joy and to really develop better um, life expansion for people. So we came up with this idea of the chair of joy. So people come from all over the place to sit in the chair of joy and they have an amazing experience. And I had 10 people in Hollywood yesterday sit through and all nine, all 10 of them had a transformational experience. They were completely different human beings from when they sat down to who they weren't from when they left. And they were from all walks of life from, from someone who was homeless to someone who was a multimillionaire when he was 22 years old. So do you mind if we go through that process real quickly? Sure. So, so what I've learned over the years is that we can tell people to be in joy and to expand joy and that it doesn't cost any money and that they can tap into it anytime they want, but they don't really hear me or understand necessarily. Would you agree that that's kind of the response? Well, I think we have spent so much of our lives mm -hmm. denying that part of ourselves. Right. right? 
that we we traded away those really important rewards for something far less important, whether it was the amount of stock options we had, the title, the authority, the, the corner office, the great parking spot, those all pale in comparison to joy in our lives. Right, exactly. So this is kind of fun. I bring this big chair around and it's not about the chair, but it does give people an opportunity to step outside of their comfort zone. So there's a lot of magic that happens here. So what I tell people is you can meditate and it get into silence and it's very simple. So I'm gonna ask you to join me. If you could just put your feet on the ground and um, just take a deep breath. And if you can just feel your toes and your shoes and uh, your feet actually on the physical rug underneath you and just stay there for 10 seconds. And then I tell people therein lies silence and meditation and more productivity and inspiration and creation. And then if you could feel your arms on the chair, the butt on your seat, and then this, and then, and then meditation doesn't have to be an eye closed necessarily thing, but I always just like to look around my surroundings and see what's there and the pictures on my desk and listen to the sounds and pay attention to the breeze or, or whatever's going on around me. So your chair of joy could be outside in, on the park bench or in your backyard or in your deck. So Richard, if I asked you for where your chair of joy is, what would you say? In your house where you could actually go, where you go somewhere to just be still. You know, we have this lovely den upstairs and a very comfy chair and a fireplace and usually my wife and I spend our evenings up there and that's our little um, quiet zone. That's the that's the place where we can be the sort of the most alone and together with each other. So let's call the den in the in the uh, or the chair in the den your chair of joy if you don't mind for today's purposes and let's take this a little further now that people understand oh it's that easy to get into meditation and to get into stillness and start listening to your breath and just staying there and yesterday I had a girl she said I I can't meditate I don't know how and then I said there you are you're doing it and she said oh my gosh I didn't realize I could do it like right it's that simple and then the next part is to just take a deep breath. One more, and I want you to tap into one more moment of joy, Richard. You gave me a great one about your bookshelf, but I want to hear one more time when you were all tapped in and everything was going just fine. Anytime, you could have been a little boy or it could have been yesterday. Can you name one for me, Rich? Oh, there are so many, uh, but for some reason, I go back now to my dad. Um, he and I went on a canoe trip from the middle of the state of Michigan, almost out to the West Coast. It was a week-long canoe trip, and it was just uh, one of the most delightful times in my life, and it's brought back such great memories uh, almost every day, particularly during the summer. Uh, I can remember going down the river, hearing the Blue Jays calling out our arrival ahead, so whenever I hear a Blue Jay, it reminds me of that time with my dad. It was such a special time, and um, at one point, we found this very rustic campsite, and uh, unfortunately, as we were pulling up to it, a rock poked a hole in the bottom of the canvas canoe about this big. Water started pouring in, so we were kind of stuck there at that point, which was okay. We weren't in any danger or anything like that. And we went up, set up camp, and it was, this, as I said, this wonderfully rustic campsite, which was just like we were out in the middle of nowhere for this 10-year-old kid that I was. and. Um, and my dad said, hey, Rich, go go get some pine tar off of a pine tree and scrape it into this tin that we'd use for dinner. And he says, and also, uh, you know, once you get that to me, go find some birch bark. 
and he heated up that pine tar in that little tin can. And he says, come on, let's go down to the canoe. And I had no idea what he had in his mind. He takes that pine tar and he pours it around that hole in the bottom of the canoe. And he says, now take the piece of birch bark and just push it down on there. Hold it till it cools. And now lift your hand up. The hole is patched with a technique as old as the Americas. And I am just blown away by what my dad had done right in front of me. And, uh, and I had told that story and retold that story so many times in my youth. I'd bring my friends over and say, come here, look at this canoe, look at this patch. Let me tell you the story. My dad told me later that he would be nearby raking leaves or something, just making sure he could hear me telling that story. That is so beautiful. When's the last time you told that story? <laughs> well, I, 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 I told it in, uh, in my second book, Chief Joy Officer, and uh, actually wrote to a childhood friend of mine and said, do you remember me telling that story? And he did. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's one of those stories that just comes up every now and again when I think about what is it about the wilderness that in, I think entices so many of us, right? that awe and wonder that we have of the world around us. And, and quite frankly, if I think back now, I think of those trips with my dad. And I think that a lot of those trips uh, were what he could afford at the time. But I had no concept of that. Right. For me, the ability to spend a week-long canoe trip with my dad, just us whistling and singing down the Manistee River in Upper Michigan, just some of the most beautiful memories that can ever be created. Fabulous. So the chair of joy experience is what we ask people to do. What? So if you're listening today, you hear the story of Richard's telling about the canoe, hear how he described it in detail. Like you could almost feel as if you were there. And we don't have to speak it out loud necessarily when we're calling those memories up, but feeling them and seeing them and smelling them and really tapping into all the senses was what was so powerful there. So we're going to do that one more time, Rich, and um, we're running out of time, so we're going to keep this next one a little shorter. But if you could put your feet on the ground one more time, just get grounded, take another deep breath in. I want one more memory, Rich, maybe one you haven't told um, maybe so recently, but something else where you were really on fire, everything was just feeling joyful for you. You know, I, I can remember this time with my mom sitting on a bench on, on the edge of a lake with the little diamonds uh, flickering about. And uh, I don't remember what we talked about, but all I can remember is how I felt at that time. And it, it was that overwhelming sense of unconditional love. Mm. And knowing that I was with someone I loved so dearly that um, it's just a feeling that never leaves. You really loved your mom and dad, I can tell. That's so beautiful. They were so impactful. So, so the next part is kind of fun. We're just going to take those two memories. So if you, everyone listening, you notice Rich really, that's neuroscientific uh, uh, processing that just happened. And did that you not- You got me to cry, Cheryl. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> Emotions are good. They raise the vibration of joy. And just imagine if we all did that, if all CEOs did that three times a day. But that's another part. Anyway, so we're going to take those two memories, the, the beautiful canoe patch, 
uh, experience and just let that resonate through your whole body and the moment sitting on the side of the lake with your mom. And if you could come up with one word to connect the two of those, what would it be, Rich? For me, it's relationship. Beautiful. I love being in relationship with other people and, and the deeper, the better. No doubt, based on everything you're doing. But if so, if you could take the word relationship and put it into some kind of container, let's make your joy intangible, tangible. What kind of container would you put that in? It's a container of love. Is it physical? Can you carry it? it um, well, it's heart shaped. Okay. And um, it's. Uh, It's it. It probably is uh, uh, something like a coffee cup that <laughs> just uh, contains this energy that you can carry around with you, and it's warm and it's comforting, and it feels good on a rainy uh, Saturday afternoon. I love that. So let's pretend you have a coffee cup that's got a heart on it, and we're going on a trip, you and I, and we're going off the ramp in LaGuardia Airport. And there are, and you're carrying your coffee cup of, of relationship and joy because relationship is joy and joy is a relationship. You, would you agree? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there are 3000 executives there, your peers from all over the world, just like you do on a, you know, you're speaking all the time. What would you say to them about this relationship and joy that they don't understand? They cannot take the time. They can't figure out the process. What would you say to them? Why do they have to get this? You know, I think that, um, and again, you probably can tell both from all the descriptions I've had that family is so important to me. And um, what I'm proudest of now is that my kids see in me what they want in their own lives. And what I would tell these executives, if, if particularly if they have families of their own, that that's the kind of life you want to live is one that inspires your children. One that says, if I could have even an ounce of what I saw my parent have in their work lives, uh, it will be so meaningful. And, you know, and I see that a lot with all three of my daughters. And um, there is just no greater joy for me than knowing I have eventually gotten to a point in my executive life, in my CEO life, in my entrepreneurial life that inspires my children. Isn't, isn't it that simple? Can it be that when we wake up in the morning that we focus on what's important and even remembering, you know, everything that you did over the weekend just as it pertains to family is enough to keep i don't know about you but it's enough to keep me going for a long time and when i focus on joy like you do i bet it just naturally creates more joy right what we focus on expands absolutely yeah it's a it's free mm -hmm. uh, and um uh, and it is uh it is contagious absolutely so the chair of joy might be, uh, exist um, a little, might be a little uncomfortable from some people, um, but you now have a chair of joy in your den. You now have a chair of joy in your den and you know that putting your feet on the ground and taking a couple of deep breaths and tapping into two powerful memories can be moving. So what was your takeaway from today and what might you say to others about this process? That there's an energy inside of us that uh, if we 
choose to, we can tap into it is there every single day. There is, there is a source of energy inside of us that is available every single day. We can tap into it if we choose to. And if we don't, we're, we are missing something big because this is our life energy. You know, each of us has a little flame inside of us and we need to nurture and care for that flame. And we can't let it go out because once it goes out, it can be very hard to restart. So care for that flame inside of you. That's awesome. I love, love, love your heart. And I love your complete focus and attention on even just saying the word joy. I find that many conversations I have that happy comes all up all the time, which is a very fleeting emotion, but to just be in joy and say joy and communicate joy um, for the rest of your life is very, very impactful for me. So thank you for being who you are. Well, thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for uh, uh, bringing the message you do to everybody you touch every single day. Is there anything else you'd like to add, sir? What's uh, my question is what's next up for you? I always like to take next logical steps. <clears throat> what is that? What's coming up for you? Well, I, uh, I'm convinced there are at least a few more books in me because I just love to write. Um, and, uh, Obviously, the, the experiences of the last year really tested almost every assumption I've made about workplaces and how we work and the fact that we've been able to make it through that time uh, and get from what became a pure survival play in the beginning to thriving again like we are now. Uh, there are many, many stories that have come out of that journey of just the last year, and I found out probably more importantly than I ever have, that building a intentionally joyful culture, that foundation of an intentionally joyful culture was the most important thing we had done over the last 19 years to get us ready for the 20th year. Fabulous. Well, hang on with me just a minute, Rich, but I am going to say thank you for your time today and all of our listeners watching the Joyly podcast, we've had the most incredible over 50 guests already on our podcast and we're super excited to continue the conversation of joy with amazing people like rich sheridan ceo of menlo innovations everyone have a great day thank you very much for tuning in